and welcome to Tectonic, the podcast that revolves around the seismic shifts in technology, culture, and the digital age. You're listening to episode number 48. I'm your host, Joe Darnell, and with me is my good friend, Mr. Joshua Pfeiffer. How are you doing? Hey, man. Good evening. I'm, uh, I'm getting along. It's been a rough, rough tech day yeah. in, uh, in the Pfeiffer household. You had some issues. We needed to record a day, early, uh, day late. So what's going on? Well, you know, I, I, I just got this Mac, uh, this I, uh, what did I get? An iPad pro. <laughs> and that was my big step forward. And I, and I just loved it. Still getting used to it. And, and then I started looking at my, at my, uh, my 2560 by 1440 display on my Mac mini and thought, I can't look at this thing anymore. I, I, I needed a new iMac. So instead of like really thinking about it forever, <laughs> like I usually do, I just went and bought a new iMac. So I've got the new 5K iMac, and it is quite delicious to look at. It is really something. Wow. You're quite a role model, Josh. 15 million pixels-ish. <laughs> and that the other guy you hear, he's our returning guest, our special guest, John Livingston. <laughs> hey, John. Hey, guys. I'm, I'm, I'm getting very envious over Josh's new toys. I thought I thought I had the edge for a little while. First, I had the watch, and then I had the the iPad Pro or the Apple Pencil. But I mean, just looking at at the possibilities and the temptation of this twenty seven inch screen, five K pixels over the last I don't know forty eight hours since he told me about it. I'm I need a restraint. <laughs> I know what you mean. The first week it came out, I was in the stores giving it a test drive, and it really is that gorgeous. I'm very fond of high def displays. I'm right now suffering through a bad experience with an external Dell display, which we'll get to later when I'm talking about my my new MacBook. So let's go ahead and jump in here. We're going to talk about the iPad Pro some more. And that's why we wanted John to return because we weren't done discussing what we brought up last week talking about the iPad Pros inside and out. Uh, John, you wanted to talk a little bit about entertainment with the device, uh, video playback, and then Joshua, you have some issues with your Logitech Create keyboard. So why don't we start with the video content? Um, both of you use it to watch videos or TV shows or YouTube videos. What do you do? Yeah, well, I like to watch a lot of YouTube videos first. With uh, I've got a couple of little children, and I like to sit them in my lap and, and show them these wonderful things that you can watch on YouTube that, that I never really got to watch. It's the modern bedtime story time. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I, we, we still try to stick to the books too. You know, we're not, we're not throwing out the old analog technology yet. But. Well, adults did a long time ago. That's what movies are for adults. They're just adult bedtime stories. Yeah, you're right. I, I can see that. But, but I also like to watch a little Netflix on it. I, I've had an iPad two. Uh, for about five years now since they came out in 2011. And it used to run flawlessly. But when I updated, upgraded the OS to 7, things started getting a little precarious. And there was no real change between 8 and 9, but between 7 and 8, it just it, it basically bricked the unit. So it's very hard to watch to really use any apps and enjoyably on it now. But so with the iPad Pro, I was really excited about loading up Netflix and having things load up speedily. And, and you know, I've read about all these 
these great new speakers, the, the, the four speakers supplied in the iPad Pro that makes it an entertainment multimedia personal theater. So I've been trying that out, and I like it. Now, what do you think of the audio? Because I think that it's got bass coming out of the bottom speakers, no matter what angle you turn it to. Do you notice it being good for music playback when you like sit it down on a countertop? Yeah, actually, I've done some of that too. Put it in the kitchen, lay it down on the kitchen table, and play iTunes from it, and it works very well. I've got a I've got a separate Bosey Bluetooth speaker, and is, Bo- is it Bose or Bosey? I, I, I vacillate back and forth on it's that. It's Bose, I believe. I've never heard anyone call it Bosey, but I, I see why you would do that. Well, you know, you heard it here first. Bose. Bose. Enchanté. <laughs> so anyway, when I use this the speaker or the iPad, I'm not saying the iPad is better than the speaker. I can't replace this external speaker with the iPad, but it's a it's a big jump from the old iPad to the new one. Oh, yeah. I think that the iPhones, the iPads have both suffered from some rather crummy speakers. You just try to stand in a restaurant with your your iPhone and someone shares a link to a YouTube video and you're watching it there in the line at Starbucks or something and you can hardly hear the thing. You crank it all the way up. You'll be fortunate to hear an, an, a YouTube video even if you're at the office where it's kind of quiet and just people are talking in the break room and you try to put something on and show it to someone, you're not going to be able to hear the thing. You got to kind of cup the bottom where the speakers are coming out from and that it kind of directs the sound in the right direction. But yeah, that's right. Form a parabolic microphone with your, with your wrist or your, your hand. It's not been pretty. You know, I've actually gotten really good results. If I take my iPhone in the bathroom when I'm brushing my teeth and I set it down right up against the, like the, the, the backing of the sink underneath the mirror if I point the speakers into the wall or into the mirror, then they bounce back and come back and it sounds much, much better, <laughs> but it gets louder. Um, and I actually have to crank the volume down just a little bit, but that's like the only way to get any good audio is to point it at the opposite direction of where you'd expect it to go. I like to watch uh, Netflix, but I know Josh has a massive, massive library of multimedia that he carries around form at least in his pocket and now i'm curious to know what he's doing with his ipad pro yeah it's at least a thousand songs in his pocket <laughs> yeah you know so i i've not done a whole lot with media I mean, i've only had it for a week and a half or two weeks i've not i watched uh, one uh one episode of house of cards today with uh with the ipad pro but i was i was using earbuds because i was at home and didn't want the kids to hear uh but uh yeah the speakers are great and uh yeah, I just I don't have a whole lot to add to the to the multimedia side of things, but yeah, the struggles continue with the uh, Logitech keyboard, and I got my stump in, and the stump kind of works, but it's definitely too small for the iPad Pro. Like it, it'll hold it, but you kind of don't want to tap it too hard, or it, it might t- topple over. So I'm actually using it right now, and it, and it works, but you just have to be careful with it. But I, I found it's really a nice nice place to throw the throw my phone. You know, while I'm at the, on my desk, just throw the phone in the stump and it kind of holds it upright. So, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd definitely recommend, uh, you know, one or two of those. So, yeah, the, the Logitech keyboard, I did say last week that it was, you know, very hard to get out. And I don't know why I said that, because I'd never actually tried to get it out until after the show. And you can get it out in about one second. It's it's not as seamless as I want, you know, but it is, uh, it's not that bad. 
So I have snapped it in and out a few times and uh, not too bad, but you do have to push kind of hard on the, on the, on the screen. And I always get nervous about doing that. Yeah. Just don't know what I want to do with it. It, it, occasionally the, the caps lock will stay on and you just can't do anything about it. And, uh, but recently I got a, uh, there was a software update to it. So maybe that addressed it. We will see. Uh, I just haven't, haven't come to terms with whether I'm going to keep it or not. I think I've got 30 days. So, uh, but I did see, I finally saw a link that <clears throat> I'll put in the show notes, uh, that's something that could potentially be what I'm looking for which is this bridge keyboard, B-R-Y-D-G-E. And it's not available yet, coming in May. Uh, but it definitely makes it look and feel like a laptop, which is, I think, kind of what I want out of this device. I, I really kind of want to use the quickness of a keyboard, the keyboard shortcuts, all of that. And then I want to grab it and make it a tablet when I want it to be a tablet. Uh, so I think this thing might might be it. We will see. Um, but it looks like it kind of snaps in and out pretty easily, which is what I'm looking for. So you're talking about this keyboard and you want it to be a laptop. And I know when, when it first came out, the iPad pro, I read a lot of reviews and people were bashing it. I mean, they didn't bashing the iPad pro in the reviews on the day of release or the week of release. The common denominator was the fact that they always compared it to the, to the Microsoft tablet, mm-hmm. the Surface Pros and the like, the Surface Pro. That's right, and and explain that it's you know it's it's not really, it's not a laptop replacement. And my thought was that it's not a laptop replacement. It's something different. It's it's laptop displacement, you know. And and I don't want to carry around a bulky laptop, but obviously there's a big. I guess a big market for people who really want that capability. And it sounds like you, or at least partially are a member of that market. When you, when it's just bare naked, no protective covers on it, this thing is small, thin, it's wonderful. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, you've got to, you got to dress it up and put your protective covers and the keyboard on it and that kind of thing. But, and it loses some of its, its, thinness and the and the weight piles on but could you tell me a little bit about that what you were thinking yeah i mean I, obviously the the ipad pro with a keyboard and case is much heavier than the new macbook it, it's significantly heavier with a with a big keyboard so i honestly don't know what i want you know i was i went to best buy and you know i like to play with the latest and greatest stuff from google or microsoft and i'll have to say their surface book 5 i believe it's called actually was intriguing they they because some of the weight and power is actually in the keyboard but you can detach it completely and it's a it's a tablet so i think it's got the gpu in the keyboard so you do the your your heavier duty stuff as a laptop then it disconnects with an electromagnetic switch uh to make it a tablet and it's it's actually not too bad looking i mean i don't think apple will do it because it's just not super sleek but it's it's pretty intriguing uh if you have not got your hands on one of those i would i would check that out just to kind of get a feel for the the conversions of the two but i don't think that's what apple's going to do but i don't know i just i look for a future where you know you've you've got and also what microsoft is doing with this continuum uh, we talked about a few weeks ago is basically you got full windows in your pocket and you plug it in and now you've got a keyboard and 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 uh and display and all of that. 
So they're really going about it in a, in kind of more revolutionary terms, revolutionary ways than Apple is they're Apple's building two different systems and kind of bringing overlapping things, uh, between the two OSs. But, uh, I don't know. It's, it's, it's just, I find it fascinating to, uh, to see where people are, you know, where both companies are going. So yeah, I don't, I don't know what I want. I need Steve Jobs to tell me. <laughs> well, he's, he, that's a problem, as you've probably been aware. But yes, so you've got a bulky iPad Pro when you when you have the keyboard attached versus your MacBook. And I don't have a MacBook, but I've certainly used them and I like them. But you've used the iPad Pro now. I've used the iPad Pro. My application is is I would say pretty pretty different from maybe what you're doing. What's the difference between having this bulky iPad Pro and the MacBook? Why the iPad Pro with a keyboard instead of the MacBook? Uh, ultimately, I, I really, and I've talked about my MacBook Air a lot. I absolutely love it. And the only downside to that thing was the lack of uh, retina display. And if it had a retina display, I would I probably wouldn't have upgraded. And if the new MacBook had a couple extra ports, I probably would have went that route. So it's just kind of like pick your poison. So I just decided ultimately to go with the iPad Pro. And I think I mentioned this last week just to kind of, you know, stick with the with the up and coming OS to see, you know, and be part of the pretty rapid changes coming to that that environment. So Hmm. that's kind of be a participant. Yeah. Going back to what you were saying earlier about the bridge keyboard, I'm very interested in this sort of concept. It's actually a few years old. The bridge has been around since I think it was the iPad 3 or maybe the iPad 2. I'm not sure. And I was really interested in it. It was a Kickstarter campaign, I think. It was just outside of my price range of what I was willing to spend on just a keyboard. I liked the idea that it gave the, the face of the iPad some protection when closed and you know packed away. But it's not very often you actually need protection for your iPad when it is packed away in your backpack or in your briefcase or carrying case, whatever. So I didn't see that, like that was a huge benefit, but I did like the idea. They, they were boasting at the beginning that it just provided better sound technology. So like the way that it would cup the speakers on a iPad then, and I would hope now it would actually amplify the sound. Like I was saying from the iPhone, it would also produce better sound just being docked into this keyboard. And I would think that the same would be true about it today and that it's been around all these years and they've kept updating the bridge keyboards with uh, each generation is very encouraging to me because it is what you're saying, providing something like that experience, Joshua, for the iPad, the, I was going to say the iPad surface. No, the Apple, uh, no, no, (laughs) the Microsoft surface, because the idea that you can just whip it off and on the desk and have a real de- uh, keyboard, it, it makes a huge difference. That notion to me is it makes a huge difference. See, I, I, going all the way back to when Steve introduced the iPad, he kind of explained it as, where does this fit into your life? Well, it fits into your life when you're lounging and it's super convenient to use a computer that isn't attached to a keyboard and it has a larger display than an iPhone. So here I am, you know, sitting beside my coffee table and I have my books and I'm watching some TV and I'm casually observing something and I want to look it up on a computer. Well, I don't want to get a hot um, notebook computer and sit it in my lap and get sweaty and start typing away and have to fiddle with a trackpad. I just want to use something that gives me like a large display with an experience of an iPhone, but with just, you know, touch gestures. And it was perfect. 
it just fit that spot where you're like, the the majority of your typing took place on the desktop with a real Mac. <laughs> and then when you get up from your Mac, what do you want to do? Well, you don't want to really return to the keyboard for that that work ex- that work like experience. You want a lighter to use key, uh, computer. So that was the void that the iPad originally filled was it was great for consumption. That wasn't a bad thing. If you want to read books, then just go for it. Get a good iPad. If that's, you know, if you can control your, your attention and, you know, not get distracted with all the social media and things, other things you can do. If you want to pick up a book and read a book on the iPad, then go for it. You don't have to treat it like your iPhone where you're just distracted with tweets every five seconds. And you don't have to treat it like your Mac where you feel some sort of invisible obligation to be productive on the device. So use it where it excels. Use it as this go-between that's like an interactive book. It seems like it was very like uh, like taking the, you know, the the pictures from the 1950s where the husband's sitting in his chair in the living room with the family around, the TV's on, and he's got the newspaper opened. Yeah, Don Draper with his iPad sitting in the living room, the kids watching, you know, how do you do time? Yeah, exactly, except most people don't start drinking scotch at 10 in the morning while they're reading the newspaper, but... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So do we want to uh, hop on down to migration? Well, sure, okay, yeah. I, I I got off a little bit there. Lots to cover here. I want to get into the MacBook One here in a little bit. So, whoa, wow! Look at the time. It's it's already flying by. Okay, yes. Let's talk <laughs> about the migration. <laughs> um, it's actually the first time I've used Migration Assistant. A lot of times when I bought new Macs, I would just back it up with a uh, a Time Machine backup, and that worked pretty well. But I never went. Uh, I guess a live live connection. You know, when I first plugged it in, it said four hours, and I thought, oh, that's kind of a bummer. I, I want to play with this new Mac four hours, whatever. So I uh, went to work and came back several several hours later, and it was still going. So another hour, it said. So then it got down to one minute. And as, as you guys know, I was complaining to you via uh, chat. Uh, it lasted the rest of the night on one minute left. Time dilation. Yeah, that kind of made me crazy. But the next morning, it, it turned out it was, it was just fine. That is really a long time to wait for a migration. And you're, you're dealing with... Hard drive, both of them had SSDs? Both, oh yeah, both SSDs. Well, I guess they both have fusion drives, so probably a lot of the stuff might have been on the on the, the spinning drive. So that may have been it. But they're both hardwired with Ethernet. Um, I, I don't understand what took so long. Anyways, that was okay, an okay experience. What was been a struggle is uh, both my Dropbox uh, syncing and my, uh, my ARC backup uh, both kind of blew up. Um, the Dropbox folder said it had, you know, sync issues with like every folder and it tried re-downloading everything from the internet. My ARC backups tried then backing up everything, including what was on my Dropbox. And it's hard to explain. I'm still trying to figure out what's going on, but pretty much the whole day has been me trying to get my computer to stop trying to move around hundreds of gigs of data to the cloud. <laughs> it's It's been uh, maxing out the RAM. I got 24 gigs of RAM. And at some point, you know, it, it, could, it was hardly even running. So it's been a, it's been a kind of a bad experience so far with my new, what I thought was going to be like the fastest Mac I've ever looked at and, and played with. Uh, it's turned out to be a little frustrating so far. 
At least you have tempered my expectations now, so I can, <laughs> I can, I can, I can back off the the buy button. Well, I have, I've got a lot of weird. If it, if it was just a brand new thing, that would be a different story. But but me trying to transfer everything, and I have all these weird different backup solutions, you know, online, going to Amazon, going to Dropbox. So if you didn't have that, it probably would have been a whole lot smoother. And I can't really blame Apple for not having a good solution for third party backup stuff. What they could, of course, do is have Time Machine via iCloud, so I don't have to worry about it. But that's a, another story, another another complaint. Yeah, I know in my, in my experience, mostly in a Windows environment, going back, I guess, 20 years now, which which is really frightening when you think about it. Where'd those 20 years go? They, It's incredible. But these like systematic backup and, and restoration fixes have never worked for me. The only thing that's ever worked for me is to put all of my files in just in directories and copy them over. Is that what ARC's supposed to do? Or does it do something a little bit more comprehensive? I'm not familiar with the ARC solution. That was going to be my question is, what is ARC doing for you? How is that different from other external drive solutions? Well, it's not an external drive. It's an online. Basically takes everything on your computer and encrypts it and sends it to wherever you want. Uh, There's lots of different options. I've got, uh, of course, I've got Dropbox for $100 a year. So it's going there and it's going to uh, Amazon Cloud Services, which is like, $69 $69 a year for unlimited. It basically takes it and throws it all, everything in the, cra- in the cloud encrypted. So if the, if everything breaks, I can, you know, buy a new computer, install Arc, and then re-download everything. Is it just files or does it do programs too? I believe it takes absolutely everything, encrypts it, sends it up there. So when you actually go to look at the files, you have to basically have the app to restore everything back. I haven't had to use it and I hope I never will. I still do you know local stuff, but I've not had a computer crash or lost files in in ten years. You know, it's just I, I do this stuff just to be safe. But well, it's good that you do. Yeah, if things went bad, I'm sure Arc would Arc support. I, I actually did email Arc today with some questions, and they were pretty responsive. So I'm pretty confident with uh, with that solution. Yeah. Okay. So. I had some issues as well because I got this MacBook, the 12-inch model from early 2015. It's still the one that they're currently making and selling. And I, too, used the Migration Assistant a couple weeks ago now. And I wasn't sure if it was going to make it. I started it two or three times and had to restart it. Now, everyone listening to the show, you probably, like a very smart cookie, would espouse using Ethernet and connecting and tethering and then using Migration Assistant over the wires. And I completely endorse that setup, that arrangement. And believe you me, I'm no stranger to Ethernet. I've used them many years. But here in my house, I don't have a great access to any sort of Ethernet wiring for my data system. And so everything has been wireless in this house. And twice I've asked for Comcast, you know, reps to actually install Ethernet where it would be helpful. And they've looked about it at different ways. And I thought that the second rep might be able to figure something out that the first one didn't. But both of them came up telling me, sorry, like, it's just too hard. <laughs> There's not a simple way we can run the wires through your carpet and through the wa- the walls and through floors to get it to where you want it to go. It like should have been done when the house was built if you wanted it done. 
So I just don't bother with ethernet. Like virtually the only time I'd need to use an ethernet wire was for this migration assistant process. So therefore I didn't do the smart thing, run out and get an ethernet wire because I wanted to start using my Mac immediately. And I fired up migration assistant with wireless using Wi-Fi, And that is an option. And I figured in this day and age, if Apple says so, anything goes right. So I would give it a try. And I, I set up it for Wi-Fi and that wasn't working. And that's what kept failing me was the sync issues we're having where it seemed like one Mac might fall asleep and then that would just goof up the whole thing. And so when it get out of sync, it was like, no, I had to make sure both of them were constantly awake and that the Wi-Fi connection was stable. And it actually, I don't know why, but the, the, my Comcast router did like goof up on me right in the middle of one of the uh, attempts. So I had to unplug the router and, you know, plug that black box in yet again and give it three minutes to boot up and then restart the whole migration process. But the last time that I got it to go, it worked rather smoothly after replugging the black box from Comcast. And it just took about two, two and a half hours where I just, you know, tell everybody in the house, don't use the data whatsoever you do, just leave it alone and let this go. And it worked out fine. It was, it just, it felt painfully slow. And what I thought was really strange, Joshua, about your experience is, yeah, you're using a fusion drive and you're, you're moving a lot of gigs, but I just didn't imagine it could be harder than stressing it the way I was over Wi-Fi. And I too was moving, you know, hundreds of gigs of data. So I, I just, I'm really surprised that both of these systems didn't put my mind, well, my, what happened to me did not put my mind at rest when it was happening. It seemed like a very risky process. Like you're walk, watching the progress bar and if it goes belly up, you're afraid of like, well, what does this mean? Does my MacBook 12 inch <laughs> just have half a brain and it doesn't know where to <laughs> pick up and continue? If I try to tell it to continue, I don't know what to do. When I, when I first started mine, I could tell it was going slow. I think I had one, one of them on the Wi-Fi. So I ended up canceling it and, and restarting it and basically just asked me, do I want to basically overwrite the, the current user that was on there? So I might've had, you know, 1% of my user stuff on there. So I just over overwrote it and, and that seemed to work fine. So it's not, not seamless. I probably wouldn't try to do it again. I'll probably stick with the, with the time machine backup restore from there that has seemed to work well in the past for me. So, so I don't recommend you use migration assistant the way I did. I'd probably do it again though. Next time it comes around, I won't remember this experience in six or seven years when I go to upgrade to whatever MacBook they have. Then actually I do want to upgrade more frequently. Now I'm very, very interested in what they're doing with the future 12 inch MacBooks. Uh, I'm ready to talk about that actually. Yeah, let's get to it. Okay, cool. So we got the, the 12-inch MacBook about a year ago, and I really liked what they were proposing here. It was thinner and lighter and better display. And yeah, we've heard all these things from Apple so many times over. Does it actually matter anymore? And in many cases, if it pertains to the iPhone, thinner and lighter are not concerns for a lot of the power users like myself. We would rather see better battery life. We would like to see power user features and take out some of the rough edges and, and glitches that a lot of us are facing with iCloud and the like. So why focus on thinner and lighter? It just seems to be getting to the point of, uh, it's just annoying. 
But when it came to the Macs, I actually like this idea because the iPad Pro is a beautiful device, a beautiful display, but for me, there just wasn't enough incentive to trade in my iPad Air to get the iPad Pro because I'm not going to use it all that much for graphics. I don't actually do all that much markup. I don't do all that much doodling anymore. Most of my graphics design work happens in Photoshop, Illustrator, and InDesign. Not hand sketches. Not really. Not really. I mean, like, I have done a little bit with my iPad Air 2, and inevitably, I end up, like, redrawing the things again in Photoshop from, well, my mouse. I'm actually pretty good at drawing things vector art in uh, Photoshop and Illustrator just using uh, my mouse. I'm very comfortable with that approach now. I mean, it took me 15 years. I probably taught myself the hard way, and because the technologies didn't provide a better solution like a pencil with a really good stylus action like the Apple Pencil, I, I learned the hard way to do it in a very cumbersome way, but now I can do it really fast and really well, so the pencil actually feels like it's getting in my way. Joe, Joe, let me just, let me just tell you the way that Yoda would tell you. You must unlearn what you have learned. And I, I agree. And embrace the Apple Pencil. Okay. Well, maybe I'll do that. Uh, <laughs> as soon as I get the iPad Pro, no, the iPad Air 3 or whatever they call it, the, the, that's up to a lot of uh, speculation right now. They're saying that they're going to change the medium-sized iPad to a Pro-named lineup. Mm. But I do like the I, idea of that size. I just like the iPad Air's size. And if they throw in a pencil, I, I figure, why not? I'll probably stay with that size and I'll give it a try. I just don't feel like there's enough incentive to actually use it on a regular basis for professional work. That's sort of my feelings about the iPad Pro. I'm very happy for both of you guys that it fills a interesting niche and a good way to utilize computers, especially for you, John, where it's solving some interesting problems at the office and introduces a lot of efficiency that y'all would have never had otherwise. Yeah, it's very interesting with the because in the work that I do, it, it really is the the mesh. You know, there's a collision between analog and digital, and there's an interface there that that sometimes is a little clunky. And I think the iPad Air, I mean, I'm sorry, the iPad Pro with the Apple Pencil really just does some very nice things right there in the in the at that threshold, and the results are great. And, and that makes total sense. But what for, of what I wanted to do, because I've used an iPad since the very first generation, and I've really been faithfully using them. I mean, like I haven't forgot them and allowed for any of them to start collecting dust. I've used them regularly for writing and consumption, everything. And what I found was I can get really good with the on-screen keyboard now that I've trained. Yeah, okay, you could say I need to unlearn what I've learned, but I've learned <laughs> what I've learned, and now I'm pretty good at it. And most people are really surprised by how well I can type on the iPad Air's uh, size, even though it's kind of scaled down and my hands are large. So I'm, I'm comfortable with that 9-inch display, or yeah, it's the 9-inch display, 9.7. I like what it does for me, and I don't really want that to change. What I wanted to change was my experience with my MacBook Pro 15-inch, which I've had since 2012. It was a very reliable, first-gen, retina-displayed MacBook Pro, and I got it because it was great for video editing and all of the Adobe Creative Suite. So I used it on a regular basis. I've been doing all the editing in all my podcasts for uh, with this MacBook Pro, 
and it served its purpose. And I was ready to upgrade because I've had uh, Apple MacBook and iMac hard drives fail on me. Well, also the Mac Towers hard drives fail on me when I taxed them for too long with a lot of video editing and audio production. And so I've had hard drives die on me in the middle of video edits and it's a miserable experience and a lot of hassle to try and upgrade or you know change those machines. So rather than experience physical failure of the Mac, I wanted to upgrade uh, just preventatively, you know, to get to a newer machine. And so that's why I moved to the 12-inch MacBook. And a lot of people right now would be like, well, Joe, you're making videos, you're doing graphic design. Why did you go with a MacBook instead of a Pro? And I thought that I would. I thought I would go with the 13-inch MacBook because I didn't need the large 15-inch display anymore. Anytime I need a large display, I plug it into an external display and it worked very smoothly. And if I wanted the portability that a MacBook lends itself to, I would just unplug it from the display and walk away from the computer's uh, desk and I would use it on the go. And I'm very fine. I'm very comfortable using smaller displays when I'm at a coffee shop or upstairs on the couch using my MacBooks. But the ideal here was that the MacBook 12-inch actually introduced a beautiful form factor that reminds me of what I've been getting from the iPad Air and iPads all these years, that it would be comfortable to use it in the living room. It'd be comfortable to use it on the go and to forget about its weight. It wouldn't be especially hot. And holding the thing in your hand, it is just so small. It is about the size of an ordinary iPad when I hold it in my hand when it's closed. That is a really comfortable size for a Mac so that I kind of forget about its weight and its scale. So as physical hardware was concerned, I liked the body of the MacBook. But then I was thinking still, it's not a viable option for me because there's no way that this thing can handle graphic design and video editing. But then I started watching videos online where people were editing their productions on YouTube with the MacBook and they were like, oh, we would never do this for professional work. But look at this. It can handle professional work. And I was like, well, guys, what's the disconnect here? You just, you're shy of using it because it doesn't have the pro at the end of it, but you're proving the point that it's actually able to handle your professional grade editing standards. Well, yeah, it's a little bit slower on render times, but, and yeah, it may take a couple seconds more to open up your files, your, your large Photoshop files and, and, you know, Illustrator files, but it handles them all with a plum and it doesn't crash. Why do you not want to use this MacBook for your professional work if you like everything else about it? And that was the thing that I was thinking, these guys are actually, they're, they're convincing me to use it because in their review, time and again, everybody was like, this thing is not a professional MacBook. And then in so many words, they would say, it's just like using a professional MacBook, but there ain't no way we're going to use it for professional work. And I thought, no, listen, guys, if it can handle it, give it a try. So that is what I've been doing. And I've been using it for a couple of weeks. And so far, I'm very satisfied. I've edited podcasts. I've produced some screencasts. I've been using it in Illustrator, InDesign, and Photoshop. And I'd get the same number of crashes I would with my MacBook Pro. And it's usually because I encounter a bug. It's not actually a hardware limitation. 
is just working. And I like the, the, the speed, the processor power. It doesn't feel slow. It doesn't feel hesitant like you might from a processor that's struggling to switch desktop displays in mission control. You're, it's a, there's actually a lot going on in an app like Adobe Photoshop. So if it was ever going to crash, it would be there because I wouldn't expect Adobe to make their creative suite really work for such a simple device. But Apple has such a good processor and operating system today that when you're not facing one of those problems that we are encountering these days with bugs that pertain to other matters, when you're just using the thing and it's running steady and you got one app up and you're just using it to get some work done and you're not fiddling too much and trying to multitask, it just, it does work. I've been very encouraged with using this thing at my desk. Mobily, getting up from my desk and carrying the MacBook, it's just so awesome. I've had iBooks, I've had MacBook Pros, I had a Toshiba many years ago, and I had a, I had a really old one that was running Windows 3.1, I forget what kind of model it was. But in each case, I've never been very fond of lugging around a notebook computer because when you get over the three pounds, it just feels like you're lugging a great big lug around. A cinder block. Really does. After, you know, 20 minutes on the thing with your lap, it just, it doesn't feel very comfortable. This is the first time that it has genuinely been comfortable to use the thing for hours and forget about its weight and its presence. And because the display is such a high resolution and retina display has even improved in the last four years, the picture quality is so consistent, whether I'm looking at video content or reading text, that I don't really notice the size and scale of these things anymore. I think our eyes have been retrained with iPhones to get comfortable with very small scale displays. So the people that are um, thinking about 27 inch displays as being like this amazing experience where you can't get it anywhere else. I I agree that the screen real estate does matter, but I think that I have for one gotten really comfortable with small displays because of iPods and iPhones. And it's taken me about six or seven years to get to that point. But now a 12 inch displayed MacBook doesn't feel all that odd anymore. It doesn't feel like I'm getting less of a Mac experience than the one I have with my 24 inch Dell display at my, my desk. Writing away for hours on end has been exceptionally comfortable for me. You were talking about how it's so light. I guess it doesn't have the, the same heat Build up, maybe? Do you think that it could replace the iPad experience sitting in the lap? I think that it can at times. If I'm actually wanting to do some typing, I have used it for typing on the couch, and I would never want to type on the MacBook, um, the iPad Air anymore that way. And for that very reason, if I'm if I'm watching content or if I'm playing a game or if I'm reading, I'd rather do that on the iPad. So I, I still think that there is a place for the iPad Air. Uh, for different use cases. Uh, speaking of the the writing on the MacBook, that's one of the points of contention for a lot of people has been the input methods with the trackpad and its built-in keyboard. I, I actually think that this is more or less the direction Apple is going in the future. We may get the... the you know, Apple updated their uh, Magic Keyboard, I guess, to the Magic Keyboard 2 a few months ago, and it's available now with newer iMacs. It's a, it's the thinner, simpler body style. You don't have the ability to replace rechargeable batteries or anything like that. 
It's charged with a lightning cable and synced to your Macs with the lightning cable. You can take that lightning cable out and the Bluetooth power just works for a good month or so before you have to recharge it again. And I, I got one here at the desk because it has a very low profile. It's better for the height of my chair and the height of my desk. I prefer mechanical keyboards, but my chair isn't raised high enough that my wrists are in the right position to manage the mechanical keyboards without creating a lot of undue stress. The very low profile of the Magic Keyboard 2 is so good that all, virtually all of my RSI problems have gone away. And I thought that a lot of my problems were due to the Magic Mouse because of my large hand and it being such an awkward, you know, flat pillow-shaped mouse to use that it was actually my RSI was caused by the Magic Mouse. But now I know it's actually because of the variety of keyboards that I've been using, where the the angle just I could not get high enough to type away on a mechanical keyboard without injuring uh, my my hands. That being said, the Magic Keyboard 2 is ideal for future iMacs and MacBooks. This just feels really good. The keyboard on the 12-inch MacBook is not got the same kind of switches. It's shallower, more shallow than the, the Magic Keyboard 2, if that's possible to believe. I think that the Magic Keyboards have scissor switches, and the MacBook has what they call butterfly switches. It just means that it doesn't rock as much when you're pressing down on it. It's got a very even press. In theory, it should be very comfortable, but there's not hardly any key travel. You bottom out so fast, the keys don't sound the same. They don't feel the same. And anytime I'm thinking about it, it feels awkward and disappointing. If I, can, if I tune it out, I'm actually not bothered by the experience with my keyboard anymore. It's not like an, a long-term, real true detriment to using this MacBook. It's just when I stop to think about it, I miss the experience of mechanical keyboards. And I prefer the one of the, the experience with the Magic Keyboard. So I would like to think that the next generation of MacBooks, MacBook Pros too, would adopt the Magic Keyboard types of scissor switches and we'd get away from this butterfly system entirely. Then there's also the trackpad. It's introduced force touch. I really like it. It's got force touch for all corners. So you don't have to press the button down at the bottom anymore. And it didn't seem like this would make a huge difference to me at first, but in just using it for a couple of weeks, I realized this is a really comfortable trackpad to use. I would not dream of using a trackpad before at the desk, but now I'm actually tempted by the force touch trackpad that is available for the desk because the quality experience I've had with the MacBooks is just so good that I could imagine if I didn't need the precision of a mouse with graphic design or the uh, ability to swipe left and right to slide in the timeline of Logic Pro while editing podcasts with the Magic Mouse, I would like just the comfortable maneuverability of the Force Touch trackpad. It's very nice. Well, I mean, you can you can do a whole lot, probably more gestures with the with the new Magic Trackpad than you can with the with the mouse. Well, gestures, yes, but having like precision when you're trying to slice off a few frames on a clip of audio or video, you would know a little bit about this because you've been doing some video editing. 
And if I just want to take off like four or five frames, it is manageable with a trackpad, but it feels a lot more cumbersome. And mm. sometimes you undo and you redo and you zoom in a little bit more and then you do it again. I see. And that doesn't happen. I don't have that much error with a mouse anymore. It's just so precise that with the movement of my wrist, I usually nail the little edits and the the pixel movements in Photoshop. So like, you know, it sounds crazy to most people who don't use then well pixels and graphic design on a continual basis. But every day, I typically zoom in on a lot of the pictures I edit to sixteen hundred percent zoom. So that's like sixteen hundred times larger than the original size. And at that size. I mean, a ladybug would be about the size of a, f- a foot square on your computer screen. It just, it, you're blowing everything up big time. So the pixels get gargantuan. It's still hard sometimes to edit with precision and get the, the finite details you want done for a pixel here and there. And the mouse, it just works so much better with a mouse than it would with a trackpad. Hmm. Until they are able to make that level of precision with trackpads, which they don't seem to be concerned with, professionals are still, I, I think the trackpad is going to suit everyday users a lot better and other types of professionals really than it will for the designers. Hmm. For that reason, I have a Logitech mouse at my desk, a wireless Logitech mouse, which fits the palm of my hand and nice and large. It's, it's just a great, has a great dome shaped curve to it. When I'm not using it for graphic design or if I'm not doing graphic design, I'm using the Magic Mouse at my desk alongside of the Magic Keyboard. Going back to the MacBook, I'm really loving it. I I have no regrets of moving to this 12-inch MacBook over that of the 15-inch MacBook Pro. Both of them had solid-state drives, both of them running El Capitan, uh, both of them with Retina displays, but this is a refinement in all the little ways. The only huge annoyance with this device is the peripherals. Connecting the external displays and hard drives has been just continuously annoying to me. I cannot plug the USB drives directly in the MacBook, and I knew that getting into it, but I can't plug into the USB port on my multi-port adapter either with these USB external drives, and I haven't figured out why. We have these uh, USB 2 cords that are plugging into the uh, USB 3 port on Apple's very own multi-port adapters. That's plugged into the USB-C port on the MacBook, and nothing happens. These external hard drives or and uh, solid-state drives, I've tried it on multiple devices, they just don't show up on the MacBook. They must not be getting the power. I would think... But then here's the weird thing, John. If I connect this Amazon Basics hub, USB hub, to the multi-port adapter, and then I plug in the SD, the SSD into that USB hub, then plug the USB hub into the multi-port adapter, it works. It has to have the monkey in the middle of the USB hub. And I can't figure out why that makes any difference. And you don't plug the hub into another port as a power... Nope, it has no power supplies. Mm. Sounds like there's a pin out of line or something. I mean, I don't know. It doesn't make sense because they're all standardized. And and, and I've tried this on three different multi-port adapters. And we're talking about various external dis- drives. 
in every case, the only way I could get them to work with this MacBook was to first plug them into the USB hub. <laughs> so that's that. It just it just is. I haven't figured out a solution. Uh, but it, it is annoying. There's cords all over the desk. And there's a sea of problems with this Dell external monitor. There's just no end. I think that the Dell was never intended for technology like USB-C. It just... It, it, it was built when HDMI was the one and only it was the high-end thing to use. And and for that reason, I, I plugged an HDMI cord into the multi-port adapter, plugged it into the MacBook, plugged it into the Dell display, and nothing happened. Again, it was just like a no-go. Just, I don't know why. I gave it HDMI, and the MacBook can handle HDMI, the Dell can handle it. Just It just doesn't work. So the only way I'm able to connect today is with VGA. It is disgusting. <laughs> it has degraded the quality of my display, and I'm getting it replaced as soon as possible with another display that'll run with HDMI. Sounds like you're really running a Rube Goldberg solution there. You know, <laughs> several unnecessary steps in the process for, for no real reason. It seems it seems like that is the it seems like that's the Apple dropped the ball on an elegant dock. Right now, everyone that has these probably has all of these adapters and dongles hanging everywhere. Why didn't they come up with a an appropriate dock for that device? I, I agree. One possible solution for all of this that and it hasn't presented it itself would be to just have like a dock, like you say. Like you have the hinge dock, Joshua, and it works very reliably for you with your MacBook Airs. You station it into the hinge dock, and that gives you external ports on the dock itself. Yes. And and you've been using that for a few years. I want that exact same hinge dock for this MacBook, and they just don't make it yet. Yeah, I don't understand that. It's been a, it's been a year, and you know it's the same kind of question I have with with the iPad Pro. What where where's the support? I I don't know. I think that there's just a lot of these third-party peripheral manufacturers that are hesitant to adopt Lightning, USB-C, and Thunderbolt because they want to see the whole market move in that direction before they do. None of the manufacturers want to move in that direction until they know that USB-C is going to be the thing for Apple for years to come. And in this way, like it could be that Apple introduces a new MacBook Air lineup or MacBook Pro lineup this year that really takes off, that really sells like gangbusters, that has a different layout of ports off to the side of the devices. And if that introduces, uh, you know, like two USB-C ports and whatever, then that alone would change the game for a company like Henstock where they may be drawn. It's more compelling to support the next generation MacBook Air. But all of these these docks on the on the Mac side and, and the cases on the iPad side, they change every year anyways. So, I mean, they don't have to know for sure Apple's going to stick with USB-C for five years. They just need something that will fit that particular size because next year the MacBook's going to be thinner. And yeah, it might have two USB-Cs or whatever. But, you know, that, that's just how, that, that's how they've done business in the past is they've designed these for specific uh, laptops or iPads. So still doesn't answer the question in my mind why you know why there isn't a whole lot more solutions for the the new MacBook and the new iPad Pro. 
Yep. Well, maybe maybe it has to do with volume, you know, with yeah. I mean, the way they they're so cheap and can't afford to produce them in an economical fashion is to produce so many at a time. And you know, if like Firewire was an Apple thing, an, an Apple format, I think, and and I really liked it, but it was on it was available on high end devices like you know digital camcorders. Maybe it's just volume. If you produced one for the entire Mac market, the volume still wouldn't be enough to justify the the production compared to the bigger PC and Mac market combined. Yeah, I think that that has a lot to do with it. Well, I think that that could wrap it up for this episode. We got through two or three topics, I guess, at least. (laughs) This is a very deep topics for a 50-minute show. John, thanks for joining us again. Thanks for having me back. A pleasure. When they come out with the iPad Pro Air 2, whatever nonsense, we'll bring you back to discuss that. If you want to send me a review copy, you know, especially considering it, it might be within the next year or so and my budget is strapped, I'd be happy to, to review that and, and come back on and talk about it. We'll take that under review. Thank you, Joshua, for your thoughts on the iPad Pro. And uh, sorry you had to go through all the bummer of that experience with the iMac. <laughs> I sure ha- hope that that goes a lot better for you. This is a big deal. This is a big investment. You should have a better experience. I think as we as we've uh, been talking, I think everything finally synced up. It's looking good now. <laughs> Yay! It only took twenty four hours. Yeah. Okay. Well, this is the end of Tectonic Forty Eight. We're so glad that you could join us. If you don't already have them, you can find the show notes with links at tectonic.fm/slash/forty-eight. And if you're looking for us on Twitter, our guest John is at nuclear ee or underscore ee. That is right, John. Yes, underscore ee. As opposed to underscore Joe Darnell. That's right. I am no longer underscore. I am JCS Darnell. My co-host is Joshua Piper. And the show is at Tectonic FM. If you'd like to send us private messages, then email should go to hello at tectonic.fm. If you want to do us a huge favor, write us a review or just give us a star rating on iTunes. I'm Joe Darnell. Thanks a bunch for listening to the Tectonic Podcast. Yeah, so I tried the new keyboard and the new mouse, and I hated them both. <laughs> I wasn't sure how how to weave that in to the conversation. That's that's show material. You should have talked to. Well, here it is after show. Okay, after show. <laughs> I I don't know how to describe it. It was terrible. <laughs> the The mouse. That's a bummer. The mouse was so heavy. I'm not used to a mouse. I've been on the trackpad. Oh. The mouse was so heavy. I felt like I was moving a brick. So, are you going to get the Force Touch trackpad? Yeah, about two weeks ago, I got the new uh, Magic Trackpad, so I've got I'm using that now. Oh. I put the keyboard and the mouse back in the original packaging, and hopefully, we'll sell them on eBay. I, I, I maybe I'll give the the keyboard another shot, but I really love the uh, uh, the Logitech uh, Solar one I use, so I'm I'm really happy with both of them. The trackpad is is it it's removed one feature that I really loved, which is moving windows around with three fingers. I, I use that all the time. And I find that you have to you have to kind of push in the force push to move window, and I think that's just gonna that's gonna add some some RSI issues. Mm. You, you know, what I'm talking about the, the three finger kind of movement of, of windows where you kind of just put your three fingers down and kind of you can move the whole window. Click and drag it, yeah. Resize the windows. It, it's like it's like you're clicking and dragging with a mouse. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
and they, they removed it. What I end up doing is um, I got an app called Moom so that I could use a grid system and with keyboard commands with Moom, it'll just resize the windows and position them exactly where I want them. Depending yeah, on I need to, I, I do. Ha I actually, I've been using the, the trial and I just actually bought Moom today. Uh, I've not got the keyboard shortcuts figured out yet though. That's the thing is the only way it's really going to benefit you is if you get uh, comfortable with keyboard shortcuts. So I, let's see, what do I do? I press, I think it's control and then a number. So control one makes the window relatively small and then two you know, control two makes it a little bit bigger then three, a little bit bigger four bigger and on up. So usually what I adjust my windows to is control five. And that leaves me some space to visibly see the desktop on the right and left hand sides of the window, but it's full from top to bottom. Mm. If I press control seven, I get full screen. If I press eight, it moves the window to the left, and then I can have another window opened up to fill the right, have split screen like layout. Mm -hmm. And I do that a lot when I'm doing file transfers in uh, the Finder, rearranging things. I'll click and drag them between windows. Maybe I move move my stuff around too randomly, um, but I just I loved the fact that I could use the, the three fingers and move it like it's a piece of paper. I didn't have to push; just kind of you know slide it over. I love the 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 user interface. Now I don't I don't it doesn't feel natural push taking one finger and pushing in and then sliding with the pressure down the whole time. I, Maybe it's because you just didn't learn it that way. And who moves paper like that? Yeah, the, well I I do like the I like the force touch idea. What is it called? Uh, it's called something else on the phones. I get the terms mixed up. Yeah, I mean I, I like to be able to kind of peek or pop or whatever. Three D touch. Three D touch. Yeah, I like it there. Yeah, I, I love it on the on the success. I miss it on the on the iPad. I use I find that I actually did do use it a lot to uh, you know do the the desktop shortcuts or whatever they call them. So, but Joe was talking about his large mouse with its large curvature to hold his large hand. Mm -hmm. So, I my mouse is very similar. It's a Microsoft mouse. I love that hardware. Good, good. Yeah, I like their hardware. They're good. Yeah, keyboards and stuff. Yeah, so, right. So I reached down. I thought, you know, what was it? A couple of years ago, I got this thing. So I, I reached down, pick it up, and look on the bottom, and it's the Microsoft Natural Wireless Laser Mouse Six Thousand. It was huh. manufactured in December two thousand and six. <laughs> wow! So I I purchased it shortly after it was manufactured. So I've had this mouse now almost ten years, and it felt like it was like two years old. And then I think. 10 years before 2006 was 1996. Would somebody really be using their 1996 mouse in 2006? They probably wouldn't even have the same connector anymore. <laughs> and here I am in 2016 using a 2006 mouse that it's a wireless, it connects to a USB port. <laughs> the, the mouse I would like to experiment with is this other one that... uh podcasters have reviewed um it's another logitech it's called the logitech mx um it just has all these great sliders and buttons around on it so you can get these oh yeah classic the one that crippled mike hurley yep yeah the problem yeah. was he was using it wrong not that it was wrong in and of itself and i, I find it un understandable that he kind of backlashed from it 